0: Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode number thirty. Well, happy new year, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. Thanks for tuning into the show. Today on the show, we have the segment Mailbox Mania, and then our guest speaker, Brian Reynolds, who is the Isham president, helping us bring in the new year. It's a great show, so let's get started with Mailbox Mania. <music> In this segment of Mailbox Mania, we're taking a step back and again looking at some articles in the November-December 2020 issue of Process Published by ISHIP. The first article we're looking at today is titled Strategies for Optimizing Compliance with Manufacturer's Instructions for Use. Now the learning objectives for this article are as follows. Uh, 1. Discuss the importance of following manufacturer's instructions for use. Explore methods to help ensure compliance with instructions for use. And then, last, review how leveraging technology can ensure compliance with those IFUs. So the article reads When surveyors visit sterile processing departments, they inspect the process to ensure team members are following manufacturers' instructions for use, the IFUs. Often, when team members are decontaminating instruments, the surveyor will quiz the technician on their knowledge. Sterile processing leaders have trained their staff to go online and pull up the IFUs to show surveyors and to demonstrate compliance with the IFUs. Decontamination and assembly area walls are often covered in posters and signage that outline steps for difficult to process instruments. Technicians may ask, Why is so much focus and attention placed on IFUs? And why do they matter? Well, sterile processing professionals should ensure that the IFUs are being consistently followed every day and not just on those rare occasions when a surveyor is in the building. This lesson is going to address how IFUs can be operationalized in sterile processing to ensure instruments are processed safely and promptly to ensure clean, functioning instruments for every patient. Now, the article goes on to discuss uh, the learning objectives at this point. Um, What I found interesting in Objective 2, there is a list of some interesting questions you can ask uh, when performing a self-audit in your department. For example, do you typically perform all the steps listed? Do you time your soak, brushing, flushing, Sonication steps as required by most manufacturers. Are your decontamination chemicals approved by the device manufacturer? Does your washer parameters match those listed in that IFU document? Are your instruments lubricated with a proper lubricant or not lubricated at all? Are the inspection steps completed in the assembly area? including insulation testing or other inspection steps defined by that manufacturer? Do all the instruments in your tray have the same cleaning steps and sterilization processes? Does your sterilization parameters meet the requirements from the device manufacturer? And last, does the device manufacturer limit the number of uses or reprocessing cycles? If so, are you tracking the utilization? So this is a good article. I suggest that you look into the process publication and finish exploring this article. Because let's face it, IFUs are not going anywhere, and the more we know, is the more we grow. The next article we're going to look at today is titled, Implementing Insulation Testing Creating a Success Story. Now this article reads, There are over 2.3 million laparoscopic surgeries performed yearly in the United States. Sterile processing professionals have heard countless times of the necessity for laparoscopic insulation testing. Yet, stray burn incidents result in 6.5 injuries for every 10,000 cases. The number of preventable monopolar laparoscopic deaths hover right around 410 per year. Sterile processing technicians must also be aware that insulated instruments are found in many non-laparoscopic instrument sets. and Some of those sets include general sets, neurosurgical sets, GYN sets, ENT sets, and we're really looking at bipolar forceps and you may find insulated uh, scissors in those sets. The AORN Guidelines for Electrosurgical Safety recommends visually inspecting electrosurgical surgical instrumentation for damage such as insulation breakage before and after use, and if reusable, during the reprocessing process. Using an active electrode insulation integrity tester while preparing electrosurgical insulated instruments is also recommended. We are all too aware with the risk and the detriments its absence brings to our patients, yet the compliance and the consistency of such is a vital practice is still an issue. Now why is this? It's time that we take the conversation to the next level, an actionable level, we must begin to discuss how to implement electrosurgical device ESU insulation testing in our facilities. And especially if a facility has never performed testing before, then they need a template and a list of obstacles to consider in an implementation plan, which can be critical to the success. When sterile processing professionals work together to make an actionable plan, The compliance of the process will be consistent. There are many factors to insulation failure that sterile processing professionals can't help, but with safety-related issues presenting as they are now, there must be a way to implement electrosurgical instrumentation insulation testing successfully. This article goes on to talk about some things that you can do. For example, gathering your interdisciplinary team, working with your perioperative partners. Next, have a plan for audits of instrumentation and testing. Make sure you have sufficient inventory to replace damaged instruments. Get your staff on board and ready to go with the process and proactively be prepared to address issues. So, good article and an extremely important topic laparoscopic testing. All right, the last article that we are going to look at today is in the featured article section Hot Topic. Right, and this article is titled Lighten the Heavy Burden of Loaned Instruments, and that's by our own uh, Julie Williamson. Now, this article reads Management of Loaned Instrument Trays is among the biggest and most commonly cited, challenges faced by sterile processing professionals today. It is also one that is becoming increasingly problematic given the rise of procedural volumes for certain procedures. And we're really talking about orthopedic, uh, spinal and some endoscopy that often equate to high volumes of loan instruments making their way into the facility and into the hands of those sterile processing folks. Compounding the problem further is the fact that loan devices are often quite complicated and sophisticated and require adequate resources in order to process them effectively, safely and consistently. Now, This must include enough time allotted for proper advanced training for reprocessing staff, adequate equipment, supplies and storage space, and ready access to those you guessed it, IFUs, those instructions for use, the loan instrument must also be delivered early enough ahead of time of the procedure to allow for effective and thorough reprocessing. So a well-developed policy for managing loan instruments during every step of the cycle is essential, as is ensuring all parties, including vendors, those distributors, And those in sterile processing, the operating room, purchasing and materials, and infection prevention are communicating as well as working to ensure policy compliance and accountability. Now, the article goes on to give some tips for success when checking out loaned devices. And some of those tips are, one is have a dedicated location for receiving and releasing loaned instruments. Another is have dedicated staff members on the appropriate shifts who are well-versed on loan instrument policy and trained to manage the receipt and the release of loan instruments effectively and consistently. The article also goes on to talk about the set weight challenges of loaned instruments, getting those pesky IFUs from the vendors and then also vendor education, the inventory process when again, you receive it and when you release it, and then last establishing an enforcement plan. So to learn more about an effective loan instrument plan and to check out those IFUs, you know, look at this uh, process publication by Isham. It's a great issue. Is jam packed full of education, things that you can apply in your facility. Well, that's going to do it for today. Tune into the next episode to see what's in my mailbox on Mailbox Mania. Our guest speaker today is the Isham President, Brian Reynolds. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining the show today. Let's go ahead and get into a couple questions. Okay. I would say that most of our listeners have been affected in some way because of coronavirus or COVID-19. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you have experienced at your facility?
1: Well, one of the things that we experienced with the whole thing is having everybody to understand what's really going on and It was a new norm. There were a lot of things and a lot of questions, just trying to make sure that we had the proper PPE for everyone to do um, the things that needed to be done. It was also um, new and and something that was different for our veterans and our patients because this was something that they didn't know, um, having to be required to wear a mask and then being able to have to wear the right type of mask the social distancing, making sure that um, we had spaces between different things and being able to see all the patients that actually needed to be seen. Um, It it was a big adjustment, but it was a needed adjustment.
0: What advice do you have for departments and individuals struggling with COVID-19's impact?
1: My advice is that don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I think the transparency of, of areas that you normally would never really be um, accustomed to dealing with those other areas that you're really going to have to be um, inclusive with. I think um, one of the things that we had to do was just come together and everybody have a conversation instead of the sidebar conversation and saying, okay, well, you know, this particular service is going to do this and this particular service is going to do that. We were actually fortunate enough to pull everybody together in one space and have a conversation and then with having those conversations, we actually were able to come up with different things just by brainstorming things. Because, I mean, sterile processing is still processing. Uh, you know, we, we're going to handle things the exact same way at all times because that's what we do and that's what we're required to do with any type of infection disease that we deal with. So I think just having people not know and understand what we do, It gave us a a great opportunity to be able to speak to what we do and the challenges that we face on a daily basis and how our staff actually steps up to the plate to get the job done, not just in a pandemic situation, but in an everyday situation.
0: I wish that Isham was immune to the coronavirus, but unfortunately it's not. Can you talk about some of the changes you have seen as Isham president this past year? Wow.
1: <laughs> I would say um, adaptability. Um What I can tell you is that I don't think any president had to deal with the whole situation of not being able to meet face to face and do different things. Um We had to rely on technology a little bit more this year and just being able to be visible and just letting, you know, all of our members know that we're still here, even though uh, we can't do some of the things that we used to do. We just had to get accustomed to being able to adapt to new things. Um, we did our first virtual conference that went pretty well, yes, and I'm sure there's others that we will do. so I think it's just being the first to champion that. I know that we're moving to another wave of the future and things of that nature, but just being a part of that was a great it was a great feat for me.
0: I know there's a lot of people that are really down on twenty twenty, but what do you see as the biggest win for still processing industry?
1: For me, I think the biggest win was the fact that, you know, again, like I had previously stated, a lot of people don't even know what sterile processing does. A lot of people don't know um, the challenges that we face on a daily basis. You know, we have a lot of people that, that stand up and say, hey, you know, I'm a champion for sterile processing, this, this, and this. I think we, this year alone, gave us the ability to show what we do as a sterile processing professional, and, and, and it gave us the ability to just say, I am a sterile processing pro- professional. There were things and challenges that we had to face, and, and there were some things that we were championed to do that we normally wouldn't do, and in certain situations, we had to stand our ground and say, hey, you know, I understand that we have to make changes and adjustments to deal with the things that needs to be done, but this is a little bit out of line. We can't do this because this is the reason why, and you have to stand on those principles, and I think You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, what's the reason for certification? Certification for me is the fact that it gives me the ability for the person to know that I'm a professional in what I do. It's not just a piece of paper. It's a mindset of how you choose to use it to your advantage to grow with education and things of that nature. So I I just I'm grateful for that.
0: What are some challenges that you see for 2021?
1: The not knowing. (laughs) <laughs> or the jet. Just, yeah. <laughs> just you know you really don't don't know how all of this is going to pan out mm-hmm. um prayerfully we just we we all pray that it's gonna work out to our benefit and 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 that things are gonna be okay, but you have to prepare for the unknown, and you know a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, because it didn't happen to me or. Oh, you know, I don't went through this and I, I, I took this challenge or I took this step and nothing happened. So I'm going to take it a little bit further and I'm going to take it a little bit further. Thing is, I had a conversation with one of my counterparts um last night and we were talking about that. And, you know, the person was like, well, you know, I didn't think that it was going to be that bad. So because I took some chances and then I went out and nothing happened. So I went a little bit further and nothing happened. And I went a little bit further and nothing happened. And then finally I said, OK, well, I'm going to take a trip. And they took the trip, and then when they came back, they had a 105 fever. Oh, no. And like I explained to them, I said, you know, you got to think about it. Yeah, we feel like, oh, well, if I take this chance, then maybe it won't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Until it actually happens to someone close to you or to your family members, you really don't think that it's it's prevalent or that it's real or that it's there. You know, I, I had it hit personally home. I lost four family members to this. and, and oh, trust. I know it's real. I understand the process. but In the same token, you make decisions not just for you. You make decisions because there are other people that you affect, even even though you feel that you don't, or you think that you don't. So I I would just say, you know, just look at it that way. You know, it's this old adage that says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" You are.
0: Yeah, we we're definitely sorry for your loss, and you're you're right. This this is a this is a real thing. You know, coronavirus is real, and and it, and it doesn't discriminate. Anybody can get this.
1: I agree. And you know, you have a lot of people that say, Oh, I had it and I bounced back. You don't know what the end result is and you don't know what it's done to your system because a lot of people feel like, Oh, well, I feel good today, but you never went to check to see if it put any strain on your lungs or anything of that nature. So I, I, I would just say, you know, take the time to make sure that you're okay. Don't just assume that because you're still on this side that nothing's going to happen and oh it's okay.
0: Absolutely. Kind of change gears here and something that probably a lot of our listeners aren't really familiar with, but every 3 years Isham's board of directors meet and they discuss Isham's strategic plan moving forward. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about Isham's strategic plan?
1: Well, with the strategic plan, um what we did is we came up with a consistency to try to figure out some strengths that we need to do based on questions that was given to our members and the things that they wanted to see us change. So we took the um, the um top of those and then we try to, uh, as an organization, we try to assist with making some of those things come to fruition and making some of those changes. So this year we had quite a few that we've been working on for a while. And I can honestly tell you that we've gotten through a lot of those. We were able to get different things done. Um, The strategic plan, you know, it's an organizational management activity um, that's used to set priorities. We focused on the energy and the resources, ensure employees and other stakeholders are working towards the common goals, and establish agreement around intended outcomes and results within the organization. Um, The board of directors, we developed a strategic plan, two um, strategic sessions that we've had in the fall, and, um, the plan derived extensive markets research, which we're still doing in reference to that. Basically to determine, you know, member satisfaction, um, a competitive landscape, market trends within the next five to 10 years, looking at the direction of where still processing is going first and foremost. And, you know, just different things that we can add to the industry as far as for ch- some of the changes that are, that are forthcoming, um, within 2021 through 23. Um, we provided a roadmap that creates the focus, um, in order to maximize additional resources, maximum impact of what we're going to be doing. Um, the board relied on a solid foundation built by the ish, um, by Isham and importantly look forward to the address of critical issues facing sterile processing. And you and I both know with this going on, there's been a lot of critical issues that we've been faced with. Yes. Just giving, you know, the members on the board, um, senior staff agrees that there are three areas of focus. Um, making sure that those particular goals are met, just all of those particular things. There's so many different things that we actually <laughs> went through, challenged, and and you know, those are just some of the highlights of the things that we actually did with the strategic planning.
0: Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about those three areas of focus?
1: Um, one of them is that we're looking at um, being the leader as far as for education when it comes to sterile processing. Um our second focus is to increase visibility with ishm organization with the profession when it comes to sterilization, being those key people that you look at when it comes to asking questions in reference to sterile processing, those particular questions that you may have in reference to what to do, what shouldn't be done and things of that nature. And then to optimize ishm organization programs and governance structure. Um as you know we've really been working with trying to get um the required certification thing done. And I know that that's been a real big topic with other people in reference to, oh, it's been 20 years and we've only had, Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> and trust me, when you do not have everybody on the same page of different things. Cause again, you have a lot of people that are stating, um, certain things. You know, I looked, I, I looked at something the other day and someone had made a comment in reference to where they feel as though it should be going. I feel that education is good and it's needed for a lot of different things that we do. Um, a lot of us who have been in this field for quite some time, I think those particular people that have come into sterile processing and moved on to other venues forget the shoulders that they stood on to get to that point. You know, yeah. I'm grateful of the experiences that I've had in sterile processing. I've stood on some great shoulders. And I think a lot of people feel as though if you're in sterile processing that, you know, most of us are uneducated and things of that nature. A lot of us have went to school and have degrees and we do something because we love it. But at the end of the day, life has taught me that when you make things about money, you get what you deserve. This is something that I do because I love it. It may be mundane to some people, but I love what I do because at the end of the day, I've had family members that have come into a facility, had surgeries, and went home, and they're living a very valiant life. I've had family members that have come into a hospital, had surgeries, and they may not have made it. But at the end of the day, we affect change in every particular patient or veteran that we see on a daily basis.
0: One of the biggest events that ISHM does is the annual ISHM Conference and Expo. Now, because of this worldwide pandemic, you know, it really caused uh, ISHM to cancel the 2020 conference. Now, do you have any information you can share concerning the next conference in 2021?
1: I am excited to announce that ISHM will be offering an in-person conference in Columbus, Ohio this October. Additionally, our programs will be keeping social distancing in mind, as well as numerous other precautions to keep the attendants and our exhibitors safe during the visit. Um, this particular event will be split into two back-to-back conferences, with the first educa- educational offering occurring Saturday, October 9th through Monday, October the 11th, and then repeating the, uh, the same content Tuesday, October 12th through October the 14th which is my birthday.
0: Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: all the things that you've come to love about our conference will be in place, including the attending um, educational sessions for um, leading experts in the steel processing field, networking with colleagues, and seeking a new product and services from our suppliers. Um, <clears throat> Ishan, we'll be offering a virtual option for education, exhibitors, and networking opportunities. So, you know, we're planning This and we're praying that you know we're able to do exactly what we're stating that we want to do, but we also have the backup and and, and, um, option as well. So if we can't do the face-to-face, we will um, do it virtually again this year. And and again, you know, last year was our first time doing this, so um, I think it went very well. But we just grow from here.
0: Great, and and, you know, I know uh, just from uh, being with Isham that the board of directors uh, really took a lot of time. Really developing this and trying to really be forward thinking. Uh, like, like, uh, Brian said, it's going to be a, a, a split conference, two different sessions. And so, uh, one, thank you guys for really, uh, investing your time and trying to figure this out. Uh, I knew it thank was you. a challenge. <laughs> And, and and you know, like you said earlier, it's it's something new, right? You have to adapt mm-hmm. and change, and you guys have definitely uh represented that uh with uh planning this next conference. We appreciate that. So last question. Do you have any advice for our listeners as they bring in this new year? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, The first thing that I would say is, you know, for those of us that are in the healthcare field and even with your families, please listen to what's being asked of you to do by the professionals that are giving the information to keep you and your loved ones safe. I mean, um, there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of things that are being disseminated that may or may not be true. Don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, whatever decision that you make, that decision is going to not just affect you, but it affects your family members. And, you know, for those of us that actually go to work every single day, we spend more time with those particular individuals than we do with our actual family. Mm. So it, it affects your family regardless, whether it be your work family or your home family. So just number one, stay safe during this holiday season. You know, um, make sound decisions and make the decision that's going to be best for you. Not to number one, impede yourself, but also to not impede your fellow coworkers or your fellow man.
0: Brian, thank you for your time. It is always a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it as well.
0: Thank you, Brian, for speaking with us today. Isham Nation, Episode 30, is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code electrosurgical. Again, the code for this episode is electrosurgical. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.